I wanted to talk with you about Joseph, a picture of Christ. And I have a few goals with our time together today. In using the life of Joseph, I want to accomplish three things. First, I want to show that God is sovereign. Why? So that we can rest from our fears in this day and age. Number two, I want to show you that how your understanding of God's sovereignty will sustain you through hard times, through times uh, that you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, uncertain times. Your understanding of God's sovereignty sustains you through that. Number three, I want to answer the question of who decides the length of a man's life? Who decides the lifespan of any individual? Why? So that we can rest from our anxieties that we deal with at this present time. You see, there is no one so bad that he cannot be saved. There is no one so good that he doesn't need to be saved. For we have all sinned and we all fall short of God's glory. And because of our sin, every man, every human being is in need of being saved by God, from God, for God. You see, that's how it works. You are saved by the grace of God. Why? Because he's good. You are saved from the wrath of God. Why? Because he's just. You are saved for the glory of God. Why? Because he is supreme and he is sovereign. So you are saved by God, by his grace, from his wrath, for his glory. Now God wants to illustrate this to us. He wants to illustrate his saving plan to us. And one way of doing it is by giving us Old Testament pictures of our New Testament Savior. There are hundreds of Old Testament prophecies of the coming Messiah, and Jesus fulfills every one of them perfectly. You see, this is how you know that the Jesus you serve in the New Testament is the authentic Jesus. Even Jesus said that there will be many false Christs in the last days. But the way you know that you are serving the true, authentic Jesus, the Savior of the world, Emmanuel, the way you know you're serving the real Jesus is by seeing how the Jesus you serve actually fulfills every single one of the Old Testament prophecies of the coming Messiah. And so Jesus fulfills hundreds of these prophecies that we have found in the Old Testament. Then there are also certain people in the Old Testament who serve as archetypes or archetypes of the coming Christ. In John 5.39... The Bible says Jesus speaking, and he's speaking to the Pharisees of the day, the religious leaders of the day. He says this, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And here's the big, here's the big statement. He says, it is these, talking about the scriptures, that testify about me. So Jesus is saying, when you look at the Old Testament, everything about it points to me. So when we study the lives of Old Testament champions, and when we study the lives of Old Testament deliverers, we see the image of the New Testament Jesus. So last week, um, we saw how Noah was an archetype of our saving Christ. How he built this box out of wood, the ark, that had one door 
and a handful of people, the remnant, went through that one door and this box made out of wood saved them from the coming flood of judgment. And in the same way, we saw how Jesus, hanging upon that wooden tree, saves all those who entered him from the coming judgment. We also see that David, who kills Goliath, is an archetype of Jesus, a saving champion, who saves us from our massive, giant, gigantic enemy. You see, Jonah in the belly of the whale is also a type of the buried Christ after he was crucified. Hosea, who stays committed to his unfaithful wife, is an archetype of a faithful Christ who remains faithful to his bride. Now today we're going to look at the life of Joseph and see a picture of a saving Jesus who saves the world according to God's sovereign plan. So why do I want to share the life of Joseph with you? Because I want to show you what it means to say that God is sovereign. I want you to see what it means to believe in the sovereignty of God. You see, uh, in the story you will find that God is sovereign over history. In the story of Joseph you will see that God is sovereign over world events. You will see that God is sovereign during good times and God is sovereign during bad times. God is supreme and He is sovereign. He always has been, He is, and He always will be. You see, no man or no pandemic will ever make history outside of God. No man, I don't care if it's Hitler, I don't care who it is, will make history outside of the sovereign plans of God. If a man was able to make history outside of God, then that man would be sovereign over God, and God wouldn't be sovereign over him. So before time began, God already had history pieced together according to his purposes. Let me say that again. Before time began, God already had history pieced together according to his purposes and his plans. So why is it important for us to see God as sovereign? Because when we see the sovereignty of God is when we are able to surrender our lives to God wholly and completely. Knowing that His counsel stands and knowing that His plans will always be established. When we see the sovereignty of God, we are able to surrender our futures to Him without any fear. And we are able to surrender our futures to Him without holding back. You see, this is faith. This is actually faith in action, is knowing the sovereignty of God. It is actually impossible to surrender to God wholly and completely and confidently without first believing that He is sovereign. Now, to look at the story of Joseph in order to express all of this, I wanted to just in a nutshell, for those of you who might not be very familiar with the story of Joseph, I wanted to give you a dashboard version of his life his life in a nutshell. And first, Joseph was a young man. He was 17 years old at the time uh, when we see that his, his father loved him and his father favored him in a big way. Now, he had 11 other brothers, but this one, Joseph, his father loved and his father favored. And because of his father's love and favor on him, his brothers started hating him 
all the more. Now Joseph had a dream that his brothers were going to one day bow down to him, all 11 of them. And then he had another dream that his mother and his father and his brothers were all going to come down and bow down to him. His brothers wanted to get rid of him because of this. They hated him so much because of this dream that he would see himself as king and that he would see himself as supreme and superior and that they would come and bow down to him. They were so angry at this that they grabbed him and they wanted to kill him. So they decided rather to throw him in a pit. And eventually they decided to pull him out and sell him as a slave. So Joseph's coat then was taken by his brothers they took an animal, they slaughtered the animal, they took the blood and they dipped the coat into the, blood of the, uh, into the animal's blood and then they took it to Joseph's father, their father, and showed him this coat dipped in blood. Of course, getting his father to believe that he was now dead. So therefore to Joseph's father, Joseph was dead. His beloved son had died. But Joseph, being sold into slavery, was taken to Egypt, and in Egypt he started rising to prominence. And he was serving in Potiphar's house. When Potiphar's wife was attracted to Joseph, lied about Joseph, Joseph eventually landed in prison, and he was there for years. Years later, the king had a dream, and it was told him that there was a man in prison by the name Joseph, a Hebrew, who could interpret dreams. He calls for Joseph. Joseph interprets his dream by the help of God, and he started trusting Joseph, the king. And the king caused Joseph to rise in the ranks, and he became second in charge of the whole nation. And now here is Joseph in charge of basically the whole nation, and he starts preparing for a future day. And he started preparing a place of provision for those he was one day going to save. Now a drought came across the whole land and the entire known world at the time came to Egypt seeking for help. And when they came seeking for help, the king would say to everyone, go to Joseph, go to Joseph. He sent everyone to Joseph because Joseph was the only one that was able to save them from this drought. Joseph's brothers came searching for help. And they would turn to Joseph, the very man that they sold 22 years before into slavery. And they came to him hat in hand, and eventually Joseph stood in front of them knowing who they were. He reveals himself to them. Joseph forgives them. And then Joseph redeems them and saves them. So you're going to find multiple themes in Joseph's life. First, we're going to see that Joseph was the beloved son of his father, just as Jesus is the beloved son of God. You're going to see that Joseph is a suffering servant, just as Jesus was a suffering servant hanging upon a cross. You're going to see that Joseph was the exalted sovereign, just as Jesus was highly exalted and given a name above every other name in heaven and on earth. You're going to see Joseph the Savior of the then-known world, and you're going to see Jesus who came to seek and save that which was lost. So let's start off, number one, by looking at the fact that, like Jesus, Joseph was loved by his father. Genesis 37 verse 3 says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons, 
because he was, the son, he was the son of his old age, and he made him a very colored tunic. Then, on the other hand, Jesus was the beloved Son of God. And we see that at Jesus' baptism, God actually says this. He says in Matthew 3, verse 17, And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son. This is my beloved Son. Number two. Like Jesus, Joseph is found faultless. We find no fault in Joseph throughout Scripture. In Genesis 37 verse 2 it says, And Joseph brought back a bad report about his brothers to his father. So we find that Joseph's brothers were very evil. But Joseph was not. And did you know, even though Joseph as a human would have sinned throughout his life, the Bible does not mention one of Joseph's sins. Not one. I mean, the Bible tells us about Adam's sin, Noah's sins, Abraham's sin, Samson's sins, David's sin, Absalom's sins. Everybody's sins are in the Bible. But the Bible does not mention one of Joseph's sins. Why? Because to us, Joseph in the Bible is a picture of a faultless, sinless Savior who was to come in the New Testament as Jesus Christ. The next verse speaks of Jesus, and it says in Hebrews 7, 26, For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separate from sinners. Can you see how Joseph was such a great archetype of the Christ to come? Even though Joseph brought a bad report about his brothers to his father, Joseph was not a tale-bearer. Joseph was a truth-teller. He was not a snitch. <laughs> he was a sin-hater. That's who Joseph was. But why does the world hate Jesus? Well, for the very same reason Joseph's brothers hated him. You see, Jesus said in John 7, verse 7b, It, the world, hates me because I accuse the world of doing evil. Jesus is hated by the world, not because he's a snitch, because he's a truth teller. And just as Joseph had brought an evil report, so also Jesus testifies of the world's sin. You know, here's something really interesting. <clears throat> the world doesn't hate baby Jesus. The world does not hate the Jesus who fed the multitudes. The world does not hate the Jesus who healed everybody. The world only hates the Jesus who testifies of its sin. That's the only, only Jesus the world cannot stand and the world has to crucify. So we see that like Joseph, or like Jesus, Joseph is found faultless. Number three, like Jesus... Joseph had a future dominion. We see in Genesis 37 verse 5, Then Joseph had a dream, and when he told this to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Please listen to this dream which I had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf rose up and also stood erect, and behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. I can only picture Joseph being really excited about telling his brothers, about this dream. Then in verse 9 of the same chapter, Genesis 37, 
um, he has another dream. He says, now he had still another dream and related it to his brothers and said, Lo, I have had still another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. You see, Joseph had this dream and all of his brothers were going to bow down to him, his father and his mother too. And man, did this anger them. This infuriated them to the nth degree. We see the same thing happening in Jesus' life. In Matthew 26, 64, the Bible says Jesus replied, but I, but I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man, talking about himself, sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. So here Jesus paints a picture of himself being exalted and supreme. And boy, did they hate Jesus for this reason, because he spoke of his coming dominion. So we see, just like Jesus, Joseph had a future dominion. Number four, like Jesus, Joseph was the hated one. Genesis 37 verse 8 says, his brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule over us? Is this your intention, Joseph? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. So they basically retaliated and refused the idea of Joseph ruling over them. Let's ask the question, why has this world turned against Jesus. Why? Because this world will kick and scream and retaliate and fight and refuse the lordship of Jesus. They will refuse the supremacy of Christ. They will refuse the sovereignty of God to rule over them. Why? Because they want to be sovereign. They want to rule. And here Jesus tells a story about himself being crowned as sovereign king. And then he tells of people's reaction to his position as king. Are you ready? Here he's, he's telling the story in Luke chapter 19, verse 12. He said, a nobleman was called away to a distant empire. The reason for it was to be crowned king and then return. This is why he was called to a distant empire. So that he could be crowned king and then return. This is the story of Jesus. He's telling it. To the then religious leaders. He says, before this man left, he called together 10 of his servants and divided among them 10 pounds of silver, saying, invest this for me while I'm gone. Verse 14. But his people hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, and this is why they hated him, to say, we do not want him to be our king. In other words, we don't want him to rule over us. He's not supreme in our lives. He is not king. He is not Lord. If he wants to come and save me, he's fine, but he won't be my Lord. And that is modern Christianity. Jesus, you my Savior, but you will not rule over me. Jesus, you come and save me, but you will not be supreme. You come and save me, but you are not sovereign in my life. I am sovereign. I, I say when you become sovereign. You see, if you think about it, the person that says that God is sovereign when I say he is, that person just made himself sovereign over God because he basically gives God permission 
to be sovereign over his life. You see, the battle of life, the battle of life is the battle for this sovereignty issue. The battle to see who will rule over who. That is the battle of life. And you see, rebellious people hate being ruled over, and those who rule over them are hated by the rebellious. So we see, like Jesus, Joseph was the hated one. Like Jesus, Joseph was the hated one. Like Jesus, number five, Joseph suffered. Like Jesus, Joseph suffered. How did he suffer? He suffered a conspiracy to kill him. Genesis 37 verse 18. Now, when they saw him afar off, even before he came near, they conspired against him to kill him. So we see that Joseph's brothers conspired to kill Joseph. In Matthew 26 verse 3 and 4, we see this happening to Jesus. It says, Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the place of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. Both Joseph and Jesus suffered a conspiracy to be murdered. They also both suffered abuse. We see in Genesis 37, 23. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic made of many colors that was on him. Then they took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty and there was no water in it. You see, Joseph's brothers, this is powerful, watch this. Joseph's brothers thought they were going to destroy Joseph's dream. Not knowing that they were in fact fulfilling Joseph's dream. This is how God sovereignly works. This is His sovereignty in action. God's enemies always plays right into God's hands. They always play right into God's plan. And that is how He saves the very enemies that try to kill Him. In Matthew 27, we see the same thing happening to Jesus. Matthew 27, 26. Then He released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on Jesus and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his hand, a wooden stick, and then they knelt in front of him, mocking him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! Hail, King of the Jews! An amazing thing. How God takes the very sins of the destroyers and makes them the means of those destroyers' salvation. Just like those who crucified Jesus, God took their sins, their sins that they committed in crucifying Christ, and made them the means of their own salvation. Just like Joseph the sins that brothers committed against him by attempting to kill him and throwing him in a pit and selling him, caused him to get to Egypt, caused him to rise to prime minister of that nation, and caused him to be in a place where he could now save the very brothers that sinned against him. You see, Joseph is stripped of his coat of colors. Jesus, on the other hand, is stripped of his seamless robe. Joseph descends into a waterless pit. Jesus goes down into the very pit of death. 
We see both of them suffering abuse. How else did they suffer? Together, both Joseph and Jesus suffered betrayal. In Genesis 37, verse 28, the Bible says, The Midianite traders passed by. So the brothers pulled Joseph up out of the pit and lifted him and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. Now, here's something interesting. Do you know whose idea it was to sell Joseph for 20 pieces of silver? It was his brother, Judah. Do you know what the New Testament name for Judah is? You're right, Judas, the very one who sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Matthew 26, 14 says, The one of the twelves, then one of the twelves, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought opportunity to betray Jesus. So we see both Joseph and Jesus suffered betrayal. Number six, like Jesus, Joseph is the hope of the world. Genesis 41 verse 57 says, So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. And whatever he says to you, do it. The famine was, all, was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all countries came to Joseph. All nations came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain, because the famine was severe in all the lands. Think of it, folks. Family of God, how fantastic is this? That here is Joseph, a despised and rejected Jew, the only hope of the world. It's fantastic and it's amazing how God before time pieced together future history. The history we would look back to, God looked forward towards and he pieced it together. Why? Because he is sovereign. Nothing escapes him. He knows all things. Nothing happens outside of his permission. Acts 4 verse 12 says, Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No one can be saved outside of Christ. Like back in the day, no one was saved from the famine outside of Joseph's provision. So we see like Joseph, or like Jesus, Joseph is the hope of the world. Number seven, final, the final number. Like Jesus, Joseph is the seeking Savior. I love this. Here's the setting. Uh, Joseph, Joseph's hungry brothers came to Egypt seeking for help. And here they are asking the king for help. And the king points them to Joseph. And here they went to Joseph, not knowing it was their brother Joseph. They only saw him as Second in charge of the country. The second most powerful man in all of the known world at the time. And he of course was dressed as a king, as prime minister, in a palace, speaking Egyptian with Egyptian garb. And here are his 11 Hebrew brothers, hungry, standing in front of him, hat in hand, begging for help. 
We'll pick it up in verse 1 of Genesis 45. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go out before me. Why? Because he recognized these were his brothers who sold him into slavery 22 years before. These were the brothers who hated him, who were jealous of him, who wanted him murdered and killed, who then sold him. Joseph says, make everyone go out for me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. This is amazing. These are the brothers who hated him. These are the brothers who scorned him, who sold him. Verse 2, and Joseph wept aloud. And the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard him. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? Is my father still alive? The one who thinks, who sees me as dead, is he still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, the Bible said, for they were dismayed at his presence. Another interpretation of the word dismayed there is they were horrified. They were horrified at what just happened here. Here's the scene. Reality just took place. They're standing in front of this mighty man, begging. And it turns out to be the very brother who dreamt of this day 22 years ago. They would never have known who Joseph was. If Joseph did not reveal himself to them. Like Jesus, Joseph revealed himself to his brothers. Remember on the, on the road to Emmaus? Remember when Jesus broke the bread while they were having communion? He broke the bread and opened their eyes and they knew who he was. And like Jesus, Joseph revealed himself to his brothers. Like Jesus, Joseph forgave his brothers. Like Jesus, Joseph restores his brothers. In Genesis 45 verse 4 and 5 says, Please come closer, he said to them. Joseph speaking. So his brothers came closer. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset, he says. Fear not. Let not your heart be troubled. Jesus said, but here Joseph speaks and Joseph says to his brothers, don't be upset and don't be angry with yourself. Why? He says, don't be angry with yourself for selling me. Why? He says, because it was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. It was God who sent me. It was God who brought me here. It was God who protected me. It was God who raised me up. No man can take a person's life unless God's permission's on it. You see, now, how was Joseph able to get through such a horrible ordeal for 22 years? I mean, can you imagine the hardships Joseph went through? How he was hated by his own family. How he was sold into slavery. I mean, this is human trafficking. How he was lied about by Pharaoh's wife. He was mistreated. He was imprisoned unfairly for years. Yet he never sinned that we know of. But all this bad happened to him. Welcome to the life called the righteous life. I mean, he deserved a much better life than that. 
but he seemed to always get the, 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 the short end of the stick. Joseph was able to get through what he went through because of his theology. <laughs> Joseph was able to face hard times because of his doctrine. Joseph was able to go through the fire because of how he understood God being supreme and God being almighty and God being sovereign and him being the servant of a sovereign God. This is why he could get through what he went through. Genesis 5:20 says, as for you, this is Joseph speaking, as for you, brothers, you meant evil against me. That's why you sold me. But God meant it for good. God didn't grab it at the end of the day and said, well, let's try and see what we can make with these ashes. No, God meant this. God meant this. And He meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. This was God's plan. He says it twice. He says it in Genesis 45 verse 5. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve you. And then in, in Genesis 50 verse 20, he said, God meant this for good. An amazing thing. That a person who views God as sovereign and views themselves as a servant of the sovereign God, they can go through hardships and not budge. There's no confusion with them. Why? Because they know what it means to have faith in a sovereign, supreme, good, almighty God. Joseph knew his sovereign God was all the while at work throughout those 22 years. He knew it. Joseph was content with the fact that God was at work. He was content with the fact that God was sovereign. And that is why he was able to completely give himself to God in every painful situation. So here's our walkaway point for today. Before the foundations of the world, family, our sovereign God pieced together the life of Joseph, the events of his life, for the purpose of saving 11 evil brothers. Why? So that God could birth a nation of 12 tribes, 11 brothers plus Joseph, the 12 brothers marrying and having children and birthing 12 tribes that would become God's people so he can have a people for himself. God had this whole thing planned out, every event for his own purpose. And God can, evil, God can even use the evil in man's hearts. And he does. What do you think happened on the cross? The evil that came from men towards God. This is how much God hates. This is how much people hate God. They pierced Jesus through. And God would use that as part of his plan to save the very men who nailed him to a cross. He's sovereign. You see, during times of such uncertainty as we live, the ultimate question is who decides everything? <laughs> who is sovereign? You're going to, I decide it. I decide stuff for my life. So you're going to decide to make God sovereign 
when it suits you, which, by the way, then makes you sovereign instead of God. Folks, we have to see this in scriptures that God is sovereign. He has a plan. And you know why he is good? Because he added you to that plan. And God will make all evil work together for the good to those who love him and are called according to his sovereign purposes and his plans. That to me is so exciting. That relieves me of all kinds of stress of the unknown future. You see, people face fears on a daily basis. People deal with hardships on a daily basis. Anxiety strikes on a daily basis. The unknown keeps people up all night. But during such times as we live in today, the ultimate question one should really ask is, well then, who decides the length of a man's life? Like who decides how long a person's going to live? We're facing a war that we never thought we would. People are terrorized by a virus. Why? Because they actually think that this virus is going to have the ultimate say in their lives. They believe that this pandemic is going to determine them. And during such times as we live in now, we have to ask this question, who decides the length of a man's life? It's a nice way of saying who decides when a man dies. I don't want to say that. I want to say who decides how long a man lives. And you see, no one escapes life's inevitable end. None, none of us escape it. As a matter of fact, in 100 years from today, none of us will be here anymore. We all know that comes. But who decides the length that a man gets to live on this earth? And I want to answer this question in short, purely using scriptures, nothing else. Okay? I only want to use scriptures. There's no opinion attached to this. Here it is. The answer is found in Job chapter 14, verse 5. The Bible says, you have decided the length of our lives. Case closed. And we go like, well, it's a little gray. Let's read further and see. He becomes more specific. He says, you have decided the length of our lives. You know how many months we will live. Can you be more specific, God? Yes, he can. <laughs> the next line says, and we are not given a minute longer. Wow. That same verse in the NASB uses two words that are very important because when we look at these two words used in the different version, but we look at these words in the original Hebrew, it gives us some insight. Watch this. In the NASB, it reads this. Since his days are determined, speaking about man, since his days are determined, the word determined there in the original Hebrew is the word haratz, H-A-R-A-T-S, which means to cut, to slice. So the Bible says here, God, since man's days are at some point cut and the number of his months is with you, that point is with you. And his limits, the word limits there in the Hebrew is the word boundaries. And his boundaries you have set so that he cannot pass it. He cannot pass it. 
So God determines the length of men's lives. So says the Bible in Job 14 verse 5. Now, we see that throughout scriptures, as a matter of fact. We, we see that also in the book of Isaiah, that God actually determines how long a man lives. And he has the supreme sovereign right to move that boundary as he wills and as he wishes. In Isaiah chapter 38, we see that Isaiah the prophet is told by God to go and speak to the king Hezekiah. So let's pick it up in verse 1. Of chapter 38, it says, In those days Hezekiah came, became mortally ill, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord King, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. God says your life is now over. The time has come. Haratz is taking place because he has set the boundary. But then what happens is God, of course, gives the king this word. The prophet turns around and walks out of the palace. The king turns to the wall. He starts begging God for extra time. And he cries out to God. God stops the prophet in his tracks, tells him to turn around, go back into the palace, and tell the king this, King, you're getting 15 more years. God sovereignly moves the harats, the cut. He moves the HOG, the hog, which is the barrier. The barrier further, 15 years. God is sovereign. That's what I'm telling you today, folks. God decides. God gives us a secret, however, in the New Testament as to, what it, as, as to long life. And this specific secret is actually not about health, believe it or not. In, in Ephesians 6, verse 2 and 3, it says... Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment of the promise. If you honor your father and your mother, things will go well for you and you will have long life. <laughs> you will have long life on the earth as opposed to a short life on the earth. So the premise there, the requirement there is honoring your father and your mother. This is the secret to long life. In Psalm 90 verse 12, the Bible says, teach us to number our days and recognize how few they are. I want to draw your attention to the word teach. We cannot number our days and see how few they are until we become teachable. If we say, God, teach us, God will show us that our lives are short and there's only one use for them, and that is to glorify God. Because eternally, eternity is so long. And the only thing that counts then is how we glorified God here and now. So he says, teach us to number our days and recognize how few they are. How do you number your days? You don't count them. You number them. You say, take the calendar. You say, this is day one. That's day two. Then we have day three. Then we have day four. Then day five comes. Then day six comes. And so you can number the days and you will recognize, actually, we don't have many of them. And then the Bible says, help us to spend them as we should. Another translation says, help us to spend them wisely. So as we are teachable before God, He will show us that our lives is like a shadow. It's like a breath. It comes and goes so quickly. In a hundred years from now, none of us are going to be here. Then what matters? I would like to say, people can live without Jesus very comfortably. 
They can live very comfortably without Christ. The question is, can you die comfortably without Jesus? And the answer is no. Today, folks, family, it is my heart to just bring to you the fact that God is sovereign. Therefore, you and I can rest. Rest in His sovereignty. I love how Charles Spurgeon said it. Charles Spurgeon said that we ought to, as Christians, rest our heads on the pillow of God's sovereignty. If you know that God is sovereign, you can sleep well. You can live confidently and fearlessly in a very, very troubled world. To know that God is sovereign is to be empowered with sustenance through hard times, to be empowered like Joseph. His theology is what brought him through all of his hardships. It's his doctrine, it's his understanding of God's sovereignty and his supremacy, and him submitting to it, knowing that all things work together for the good to those who love God and are called according to his sovereign purposes. You see, if we understand this, it's not difficult to go through hard times. And if we understand that it is that our lives and the lifespan that we were given is in the hands of God, then what are we fearing? What are we anxious about? Let me help you. No one could, could take Joseph's life. No one could take Jesus' life. Jesus gave his life. God preordained Joseph's life. And guess what? God has decided on your life. There's nothing to fear, and there's no one to fear. God is sovereign. Amen.